This episode of The Citadel Cafe is brought to you by listeners like you. Visit patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe to find out how you can become a patron and help make this show possible. This is the Citadel Cafe, episode number 409 for Wednesday, July 21st, 2021. My name is Joel Duggan and the Citadel Cafe is where my friends and I hang out to talk about the geeky stuff that we're into. Joining me this week, Alistair McFly is back. You can find him at Alistair McFly on all the social media that matters and on Long Range Sensors, a Star Trek retrospective podcast. Welcome back, sir. Thank you for having me back. Always, always fun to be here. You know what's also fun? Air conditioners. I don't remember whether I talked about this last week or not. Uh, my air conditioner that I ordered on June 30th finally arrived on June, July 15th. <laughs> uh, I forget that air conditioners are a thing because for us in England, they're not. I've been right. here, what, seven years? I still don't have an air conditioner because every time I remember, it's because people are talking about how they're all sold out. Right. <laughs> so I'm suddenly in that, okay, now I remember I need one and I can't get one. Uh, what I need to do is set a reminder to get one around Christmas time in the winter when nobody's buying them. Actually, uh, end, of the like end, of the oh, end of the when summer. Like end of the summer when they're on sale trying to move stock. Same thing with patio furniture. You need, like, if, uh, that's how I got my little bistro table outside is I waited until the end of the season and then Walmart had it on for like half price. So trying to move trying to move stock um i paid full price for mine uh i was expecting to pay full price for mine um but uh i was happy with the other model so i bought an lg air conditioner 10 years ago uh it was around 400 and i i got 10 years out of it before it stopped working and only the cooling part has stopped working it's still a fan like it still works as a fan Mm. um so i just went back to lg and said look it seems weird it seems like brand loyalty which is not normally a thing that i i am associated with but um <laughs> i just for track record and appliances that seems pretty good so there was an updated version uh it has some weaknesses um and there are it was a slightly larger unit and it was also black compared to some weird off-white color so um i splurged for something that's good for 350 square feet which is not the size of my whole apartment my whole apartment's bigger than that but the main room with my studio door open and the hallways door closed and stuff like that that's about right and lately i actually haven't needed it for air conditioning it's been mostly dehumidifying stuff because uh in the maritimes right now it's been 100 percent humidity for like three days uh very 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 sticky and so it's been a godsend it's been i can't tell you the the last time we had a heat wave through humidity a couple of weeks ago, like I really felt ill at my desk, like sitting with a fan on me like a cartoon. Like I just it was I could feel, you know, my hair blowing sideways. I had the fan up so high and I just I just could not get any work done. So uh, having the AC is is great. Uh, I don't remember the exact model off the top of my head, but I mean, like there's only so many floor model LG uh uh, air conditioners that you can find that are good for mm. 350 square feet. So I'm sure you can find it, you know, online. Um, oh, it has a, that, then. yeah, it has a remote and some of the functions are only Ooh. available on the remote, which drives me nuts because my apartment is not so big that I'm not, you know, 10 feet from this thing that I couldn't just walk up to it and change the settings. 
Um, I much prefer, uh, as I think you've had this experience with a recent TV, um, I much prefer having some buttons on the unit. And this thing has, you know, fan speed. It has mode. So like, you know, fan cooling or dehumidify and power on and off. You've got uh, temperature adjustments. But the other model had a timer on it that you could set on the the unit now i'll confess i haven't read the entire instruction booklet but like (laughs) still like it was all really obvious i mean i set this up and get it working without Mm. even reading the instructions like you turn it on you press cool you put the vent out the window done um and so like with this one the timer because i what i used to do is i used to walk over to it turn it off before i left the house and then go "Mm, it's going to take me about two hours to go get groceries I'll have it come back on in about 90 minutes. So then it comes back on about a half an hour before you get home and things are at least starting to cool down before you get back home again. Uh, and so this one, you have to use the remote to do that, which is just kind of a, just one more thing I've got to put AAA batteries in, which I don't care. <laughs> like it just drives me nuts. Um, the other thing that I did, which is why sometimes I kind of kick myself in the shorts for being a pack rat. Uh, I have a spare room and the spare room basically just collects stuff it's stuff that i can't throw out or don't want to throw in a landfill it's stuff that needs to go to like a recycle depot or you know i have like clothing that piles up over time that i have to donate to charity or whatever mm-hmm. so there's just there's just this pile of stuff in this other room and that included the old hose and the old vent connector for the old air conditioner which i'm no longer using because it doesn't i don't use it on on the cool mode because it doesn't put out any hot air anymore um so the new attachments that came with the new air conditioner all snap together and they feel like they're pretty permanent there they look like they're going to be pretty permanent with you snapped them together and i thought "Mm, i don't know if i want to do this because if i can't move this from room to room or if this doesn't fit then it's gonna be a problem so i checked the small attachment for the window vent and it doesn't fit in my patio door which is unfortunate uh and i could cut it but it's a brand new thing and I don't really have the best tool to cut it. So like, I just decided, you know what? Let's just see if I can make this work. And really all it took was a bit of packing tape, which feels silly to put on a brand new device. But basically <laughs> I have my brand new air conditioner. But because it's so close to my patio door, like literally a couple of feet, not even. Uh, I'm using the old AC hose and AC vent because that fits in the door. Like that fits in the... And the thing now, unfortunately, the old hose is, is a bigger diameter than, than the new hose. Otherwise, I could use the new attachments and just switch out the window attachments. But unfortunately, I have to use the 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 hose um, as it you know connects to the um, to the air, air conditioner. Now, I'm sure I could probably go buy like at Home Depot. I can probably just buy a hose like I could probably just buy a smaller diameter, you know, hose or, mm. vent or something and have two. Uh, and then that way I could move the the AC unit from room to room if I needed to. Like, is it, if it ever gets really hot, I'm going to have to move it into the studio and close the studio door. And you've been over to my place. The studio is like a little 8 by 10 so it would cool down very yeah. quickly. Um, but so far, it does the trick. It's just got a little bit... It's a, it's a more powerful unit than the other one, and it's got a little bit uh, of a larger square footage that it will actually handle, uh, which is good. The problem, I wheeled it into the bedroom one night to use it. And unfortunately, it shuts off whenever it reaches temperature, uh, which was waking me up through the night, which drives me nuts. Uh. 
Uh, the <laughs> other one, what would happen with it when it hit the, like you said it to be like, you know, 20, 22 or 20 degrees uh, Celsius mm. for people that are listening. Um, and when it, when the old one reached that temperature, the fan would continue to go, but then the cooling unit would just stop cooling. Uh, so you'd hear it like shift gears very subtly, but the noise of the fan would stay constant, right? With this mm. new one, the whole thing shuts off. So then it goes dead silent, which that either wakes you up or when it starts back up again in 10 minutes when, of course, the room goes up to 23 degrees and it kicks on again to bring it back down to 21. You know, you're just like, ah, this is the third time you've woken me up. So I'm sure there's a way uh, it's got a sleep mode on it. And I'm hoping that there's a way that I can say, like, just stay on regardless of temperature for like six hours. You know, I'm OK if you shut mm. off at 6 a.m. or whatever. That's fine. But like, just don't do the on off thing throughout the night because the first night I, I, I got it, uh, I got it going was, was problematic. Actually, that reminds me, um, the whole reason that I was cheesed off is because I was lying in bed awake, um, because I got my second COVID vaccine last week and oh. yeah, so I, I am T minus what 11 days or something away from being fully vaccinated as the body does its thing. Um, which will lead me into my, my next conversation, but um, I didn't have a bad experience, but there was definitely like a, a lot of being awake at night with a hot apartment and a sore arm. And I was just like, I just want the AC to stop waking me up. Like, that's all I want, you know? And so I think I was, I was more useless for about 36 to 48 hours because of lack of sleep, not necessarily because of any really gross symptoms. Um, I was describing this right. to Laura because her shots coming up later this month and it, you know, you know how you feel when you have to sneeze and you just can't sneeze and it drives you nuts. Like it just, it almost hurts. Right. Mm. So in the previous, you know, the, the last time I got sick, sick, which is a long time ago, probably when you and I were working together, actually. So like four or five years ago, um, I probably would have come down with something like the flu and you know that achy feeling that you get before you get the fever? Like you're you're coming home oh, yeah, from a, yeah. a day and you're just like, I do not feel well. Like my hips hurt, my neck hurts, my back hurts. Everything just feels like it's going to crumple over. And then once you kind of take stock, you're like, oh, no, I'm sick. The oncoming storm. Yeah. And then yes. like four <laughs> hours later, you get a fever and it's hot and you're sweaty and it's cold and all that kind of stuff. So that's what I felt like on the Friday so about 24 hours after the shot, I got it at a, at a 10.30 in the morning on a Thursday. So basically the next day, I felt like that the entire day. It was that big body inhale of, you are going to get sick, and then nothing happens, right? So like the whole day, <laughs> usually it lasts a couple hours, but it was the whole day of this kind of like of <laughs> just this awful feeling, <laughs> and then it went away. So like as far as, you know, reactions go, I think that was pretty mild, um, but it's, I like to try and communicate to people because we're getting to the point in the country now where we've passed the U.S. in terms of double vaccination percentage. Um, but there's this stall because as you whittle down to the very important, like the last 40%, the last 20% of the country that's going to get vaccinated, now you're getting into the anti-vaxxers. Like now you're getting to the mm. people that just don't want to, not the people that don't have access, you know, um, not, not in the 40%, that's going to be closer to the end. But it's one of those things that, like, I just can't stress the importance of it enough, you know, for all uh, the other like people. But both, both vaccines um absolutely destroyed me i was really? so ill 
because oh, yeah, okay. I got hit bad both times. Huh. But even having gone through that, from the stories I've heard, uh, you know, reading from doctors who've been dealing with COVID patients directly, I would take a third vaccine and go through that again mm -hmm. than go through COVID itself. So, you know, it, it's it's hugely important, even if you have to just be unsettled for a couple of days. Yeah. There's also people that are either immune compromised that can't get the vaccine because of whatever yeah. their reasons are. And also everybody in the country under 12 can't get vaccinated. Like it's only 12 and up, mm. you know? So like if you've got nieces, nephews, kids, friends, you know, like it, you, it's, it's good to do it just for, for, for other people. Um, I mean, yeah. I've always, you know, uh, landed on the science of science and progress. <laughs> and like, <laughs> I trust experts because that's why they're experts. So I don't have to go to school for nine years to become an immunologist to know better. Like, I'm not mm. going to read the 40 page document. I'm going to let someone else that knows what they're talking about, read it and explain it to me. That's, that's how that works. That's why there's experts. Um, but, but isn't yeah. there like a two, a two paragraph post on Facebook? Is that not research? Because that seems to be what a lot of <laughs> yeah. people go for. We're not going to go down that road. We won't go down that road. We will be here all day, my friend. All day. Um, but that leads me into um, something else that's changing, which is I'm going to go back to the gym. This is the first time since lockdown. Ooh. Yeah, um, I've been putting my membership on freeze. I, I, Fit for Less has just said basically like you can freeze your membership for 30 days, every 30 days. There's they've just kind of they didn't really advertise it. They've just kind of there's just no penalty for it. Um, it's not an mm. expensive membership anyway. I just don't like paying for stuff that I'm not using. Um, and so yeah. I realized that my membership lapse is coming up on the 26th and I'll be like fully vaccinated on the 30th. So I'm just like, well, that Monday, August 2nd or whatever that is, as far as my weekly schedule goes, probably a decent time to go back to the gym restrictions in the province are now to the point where I can go to the gym. And I think I still have to book appointments. Like I think they still have to know. I don't know if gyms are at full capacity. I know restaurants are. I have to look into this yet. I've got a couple of weeks yet. Oh, but I didn't even know restaurants were. Uh, maybe not uh, restaurants. Grocery stores are. That was that was the thing I meant why? to say. Okay. So because I went grocery shopping on Saturday last and it was uncomfortable. Uh, there was there was no person clocking numbers at the door. You can go in and out of any door that you wanted. The checkout was still the same. You know, line up, be assigned to checkout and go through. I hope they keep that. That's mm -hmm. the best way to go through a checkout. It doesn't matter whether it's COVID or not. Um, it's a much <laughs> way more efficient. Uh, yeah. And um, yeah, like it's, it's one of those things where uh, there's an it, it's, it's free enough. And with me being vaccinated, I definitely feel more comfortable going back to the gym. Uh, and also, as we were mentioning, just a, a little discussion pre-show, like I'm just, I'm feeling despite being able to jog, uh, outside and, and stuff, my, my schedule is, is pretty busy and I feel like I need more weight training, more strength training, not just the cardio. Mm. So, uh, I just do a lot of sitting for what I do and I need to get back into it. And I had made some really decent progress in terms of, um, getting back into shape, um, before COVID, like I'd been in the gym maybe six months before COVID hit. So um, it took, it didn't take me very long to snap back into shape, but I had just gone through that process of like really feeling like I was getting back into it. And then I had to stop going. Um, so I'm mm -hmm. looking, I'm looking forward to that um, just because it's going to be, it just kind of gives that semblance of normalcy again, you know? Yeah. And especially after COVID, I mean, I, I'm certainly out of shape compared to what I used to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. wasn't necessarily a great shape, but it, it was certainly a well, better one. <laughs> and you got to remember too, like, um, 
when there's nothing to do in the wintertime in Nova Scotia, like you've got nothing to do but sit home. Like there's, you just, you can't, there's no outside for half the year mm. that's pleasant, well, right? And that's one of the reasons I got a treadmill. Oh, for, nice. For my place. was um, So that in the winter months, I, can, I now have a way of keeping active. And my old TV that I had in my bedroom, I upgraded from a 1080p to a 4K. So the 1080p one happens to fit perfectly in the window, just on the window ledge, um, where my treadmill is pointed at it. So I can now just sort of go on my treadmill, watch Twitch videos, watch YouTube, just catch up on things. Nice. While still remaining active. And I'm hoping that that will actually encourage me because I, I find going to a gym, especially on my own, I essentially when I was back at university, I used to go to the gym with a, a friend and I just found that so much easier motivational wise, especially as I had uh, to be accountable to him as well mm -hmm. to be that otherwise he's going on his own. So that was good motivation for me. But trying to just go to the gym on my own, I find really difficult. So having it at home and being like, I'm not eating into time that I would normally be spending watching YouTube anyway. I can just do so in a more healthy manner. And when you want to catch up on stuff like that, when there's a lot of content creation happening, and I mean, you run into the same problem that I do probably is that there's just not enough time to watch all the stuff that you want. You know, like <laughs> yeah. I, I've been guilty uh, this past week aside because I've just been having trouble sleeping with the heat and humidity um, until I got the AC. But it, like I find that I've been, um, what's it called? Sleep procrastination. It's basically like you're tired, it's 10 p.m., but you're not going to bed because you haven't had any time today to play video games or watch Netflix or do something fun and cool. All you've done is adult all day long. And so screw bedtime. Like you're just, it's like you're six again. You're just like, I want to play with the toys. I don't want to go to bed. Like I don't want to go do the sleep thing. Um, and I, I'm not, I don't think that's changed for me since I was six. Well, right? yeah. <laughs> it's just life. <laughs> but yeah, I've just, I've noticed that I've done this a lot, uh, where mm. I'm just, I'm up a little bit later than I should not like, you know, if I'm up until two, that's out of like not wanting to be, but like, if I'm up until midnight when I should go to bed <laughs> at 11, it's because I want to do something cool, you know, because I've been yeah. working, you know, as an entrepreneur, you put in a lot of hours. And so stuff like that, I, I find is, is um, it's nice when you can get in things like exercise. And for me, it's listening to podcasts. Like if I'm walking to the gym, I'm knocking out a couple of my daily podcasts on that 40 minute walk to the gym, you know. With your TV and your home gym, like, is there other tech that you've got going on? I, I feel like it's it's complete for the most part. Um, I've, uh, in addition to that, because it's, it's one of those manual treadmills. So you have to actually put in the effort yourself. Okay. Than the electric one, because also a lot cheaper. Well, yes. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I've also got a bar that is for doing setups with, and you can do pull-ups as well. And so it just latches onto the top of the door frame yep. for, mm -hmm. for pull-ups. So that's something I'm going to be using. Uh, I might get myself a, a skipping rope, or jump rope, I think is the other <laughs> advertised. Um, and so I hope to use that. Now, I can't use that in that room because it's far too small. That's going to be one of those go out in the car somewhere, find somewhere secluded where nobody can see me and then embarrass myself in private. Outdoors. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I've got, and this is probably the, the thing that I love the most, is a mat, just a massive oversized exercise mat from a company called um, S36. I had a yoga mat originally, and I just found that whenever I was doing stretches or anything like that, I'm, I'm immediately off the mat. It was also kind of thin. Mm. And mm -hmm. one thing that I've learned 
just from looking around is that the price you pay is definitely reflective on the quality. Yeah, you, the more oh, you pay for a mat, you do definitely get more. It's not one of those like oh, some places kind of rip you off and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and because I've got an Apple TV hooked up, I've got the Fitness Plus service, which uh, allows me to basically have a personal trainer there effectively. And they had these absolutely massive oversized mats that looked fantastic. And I went on Reddit and found uh, somebody who figured out which mat it was that they were using for that. And the owners of the company, because it, it turns out it's a family-run business, they uh, uh, you know, confirmed that it was indeed them that had partnered. And so they just said, look, for anybody, this is you know, public, anybody who wants to get one of these mats, you can use a promo code. And they just use the word Apple uh, and you get 10% off. And I went on, worked. And so it's, it worked out. It was free shipping in, uh, in North America. And it came down to about $188 Canadian. So pretty pricey, but they are uh, really thick mats. They're really large. They're like four by six. And they do not move. That was one of the other problems I had with the yoga mat, was it would slide around. The grip on this thing, it is as solid as the floor itself. Just nice. will not budge no matter what I do. And you can use it with, like, you know, you could either do it barefoot, you can use shoes on it. Uh, apparently it wears over time as well. So the more you use it, the, the better it becomes. Um, but it has just completely changed that room. And it's it, it makes me more... <laughs> I'm not sure what the word would be, uh, somewhere between excited and inclined to, <laughs> I suppose, more motivated, really, oh. to actually go and use it. Yeah. No, and, there's uh, nothing worse. There's nothing more. worse than wanting to work out, knowing how to work out and not having either the right equipment or having crappy equipment. That's it. Yeah. And that's how I felt with the yoga mat. It's like, well, I just feel like I'm just going to end up injuring myself because the moment you your knees are on the floor, like mm -hmm. it's painful. Whereas with this, it's so comfortable and I, I can just I can do it. Uh, the only thing that I'm considering getting just to really finish things off is possibly weights. I'm, I, I'm thinking that maybe that would be the one thing that I'm probably missing. And uh, so I, I need to do more research into that and see what's good. I know you've worked with weights before. Oh, I've got, I've got so. weights. Uh, I've got some loner weights. I've got some of my own, but I've also got loner weights from Laura who wasn't using them because um, her gym is really small. And, and she does okay. mostly powerlifting, so she doesn't necessarily use or need dumbbells at home. She had them for, I think she got them very, very early on during the pandemic where she just needed something at home until, you know, they sorted out what they were going to do and when they were going to be allowed back in the gym and all that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, it's, it's one of those things where um, I don't have the space. Like, I mean, I work out in the four feet at the foot of my bed between that and the dresser. Uh, it's not mm. a lot of space. Um, I use them mostly for upper body stuff because with the running and I, I do push-ups and stuff when I go for a run. So like it's, 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 I'm the guy on the side of the road. That's like, why is that guy doing push-ups on the sidewalk? And then he gets up and keeps on running. <laughs> like it, just, it sounds, it sounds weird, but it's a, it's a better workout. Like for me, it's like getting some cross training and some interval training and a jog all in at the same time. And when you're as busy as I am getting all that in, in a half an hour is actually kind of essential. Um, so I don't need them for a lot, but they're good for smaller stuff because I don't think I have I don't have anything over 25 pounds. So like it's not really a lot to to move around. Um, I could and should do more with them. But like you, I don't you know, until recently, I, I don't have the space, you know, or you've got the space. I still don't have the space. So 
I kind of have to find a spot in the apartment where I'm not going to bash stuff and just kind of do it there. Uh, I did find um, when I had a membership and it was going to, to fit for less earlier on last year that not last year, geez, it's been a long time. So two years ago um, that <laughs> being able to go there and even though sometimes I wasn't necessarily lifting heavier. Um, well, no, that's a lie. I think in most cases I was lifting, he lift, lifting heavier than what I had at home. So it's a, it's a common case of like, one, there's enough room there that I can do whatever I want. It's a huge facility. And two, I have enough weights that if I wanted to do squats or, you know, not deadlifts, but like rack pulls or anything like that, I, they have enough there that I, they can challenge me. Um, I do have a chin-up bar at home, um, but there's, again, there's only so much you can do, you know, on, on mm. one of those when you want to get into other things. Um, I don't have like a rowing machine and um, chest at home is particularly difficult because I don't have a bench. Um, so there's all kinds of stuff like that that I think is is good to have at the gym. But yeah, um, I mean, I for it's been a long time since I've mentioned this on the show because it's it's certainly not how I identify anymore. But when I was in my early 20s, late teens, early 20s, I was an amateur bodybuilder. So like I still, I don't have a lot of problem getting motivated to work out because I just have to turn that switch back on and I'm just like, yep, here we go. Mm -hmm. You know, like I just, I, it's, it's a skill that I have acquired. I really enjoy training. Um, it's just that I am now 20 years older, <laughs> uh, and, and I have to just take it a little bit easier. The ego has to stay at the door, which is also something I'm pretty good at. Um, but it's, uh, it's definitely something that I really do feel like I, I need to have weight training in my routine. I've been jogging outside for years and doing some cross training. You and I have done some hikes and stuff like that. And it's satisfying, yeah. but it's my mm. body needs more than that. Like I really feel like I'm in much better shape. And I don't, I, and I, I want to be clear. I am not going back into like a bodybuilding regime because one, I don't want to eat that much. And, and two, like, I just, I don't want to spend, I cannot spend three hours a, d a day in the gym. Like I'm going to go back to probably three to four days a week, you know, weak point training, stability training, um, basic movements, uh, been inspired actually quite a bit by Laura, uh, who, and I, I mean, this is the biggest compliment. She works out like it's a job and she trains extraordinarily hard and, and she's very dedicated and she sees results. She gets stronger every time she tests her strength. And it's awesome to see. And it really has kind of like uh, reiterated something that I've already known, which is the basic movements, squats, bench press, deadlifts. Uh, you will get mm -hmm. stronger. You will get healthier. They work everything almost all at the same time. Bench being a little bit less so. But like most those two big ones, squats and deadlifts, they work basically head to toe. And um, she does accessory work, but most of the time, those are the big lifts that she's focusing on. And so I'm when I go back, uh, deadlifts might not be good for me with my back issues, but things like, you know, moderate weight for squats, you know, doing some rack pulls, like stuff that's bigger, broader and less dumbbell focused. It's also really mm. fun just because it's different. Uh, so I'm looking looking forward to that. Yeah, I, I think that's another thing for me is just wanting to have a bit more variety. Like before, when I just had just the treadmill, that was great. But it was like, I need more. <laughs> Talking about the exact opposite, which is sitting around on our butts watching things on Netflix. I think we should probably get into what we've been watching. Mm. Uh, I'm going to kick things off with Gunpowder Milkshake. And I will asterisk this with, I didn't finish it because <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> but it's, it's sad that it's awful because it had some potential. 
right? Uh, hmm. It it um, well here, Karen Gillian, Paul Giamatti, Lena Headey, Carla Gugino. I can't remember how to pronounce her last name. Michelle Yeoh, Angela Bassett, and then uh, there's a kid in it played by uh, Chloe Coleman. Uh, like that's a cast, right? Like that's yeah, that got, is that's got some potential, right? Uh, it has a 66% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got a 5.9 out of 10 on IMDb. Not normally something that I, I put a lot of stock in, but normally when something on Rotten, potato, rotten Potatoes, on Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> both, of things are, both of these things are bad for you. When, when Rotten Tomatoes has it as a sub 70, it's usually a pretty bad movie. Like it's usually not mm. very good. Um, I bailed on it. I, I wanted to get back into it. I was going to try and watch it last night to try and force myself to finish it, to talk about it on the show today. I just, I just couldn't do it. I just, I tried it. I watched five minutes. It's like, nope, I just, I just don't really care. It's really campy. Uh, like it's really over the top kind of like campy gun violence action shtick. Uh, but in my opinion, it's not in a good way. It can't decide if it wants to be Sin City, John Wick, Kill Bill or all of them at the same time. Uh, it's, ju it's just all over the map. And it's too bad because the, um, the world that it's, it presents to you in the first of the while is actually really cool. You've got a, a female assassin and her daughter. Uh, they become estranged because the female assassin has to, has to leave town to, you know, to save her life and her daughter's life. And so the, the, the assassin, Sam, uh, or the girl, sorry, Sam grows up, uh, that's played by Karen Gillian, um, like hating her mother for leaving, but she's also now taking up the family business. And so she's the daughter of a famous assassin. She's also an assassin. Like it's, it reads like a comic book, right? Uh, mm -hmm. and you, you would think it would be, but it's not actually, I looked it up. I thought this is going to be a cult comic to, to get this many stars behind it. And to get on Netflix as a film like this must have some sort of cult following already. Nope. It's an original screenplay. It's an original story oh, by co-writers uh, Nevo um, Papachado and Eud uh, Lapsky. Um, hope you're pronouncing your names right. They're very difficult. Uh, so it's an original story. So props for the imagination. Yeah. But it's just the execution. And like... It's also like this neon noir 50 style. So like all the meetings are happening in diners where this like bubble gum popping waitress comes up and tells you to put your guns in the cookie jar because there's no guns allowed in the diner and everybody has guns because it's like this under city, like the underbelly, terrible part mm. of the city. And it's just got this kind of classy retro apocalyptic, not apocalyptic, like retro dystopian kind of vibe to it. So it starts off that way. But then when you get into the acting and the the action, which is the like the huge part of this thing is action. Mostly it's action. Mm. Um, I, I like Karen Gillian. I really enjoyed her in the Marvel films as Nebula. I've seen her in other things. Mm. Uh, not Doctor Who, where most people know her from. But yeah, I, I, I mean, applaud for effort, I guess. She's terrible in this. Like, she's just... She, <laughs> There's, I feel like there are some actors where they just can't do badass. Like there's just you being grumpy <laughs> does not make me feel like you're a badass, you know, whereas like Keanu Reeves, for whatever reason, as nice as a dude as he is in real life, he really pulls off John Wick. 
Like you don't question that this mm. guy is lethal, right? Um, so in this, it's again, campy lines, a lot of grumpy acting. Uh, I feel like they spent a lot of their money on these cameos. Uh, again, I haven't finished the film. My guess is that all of these headliners come back to help her save the day at the end. The plot is basically she is assigned to kill somebody. She screws up and walks into something that she wasn't supposed to or wasn't meant to. Uh, and then the um, group, the firm, basically mobsters that have hired her are now trying to kill her. And um, she visits uh, an old, some old friends of her mom's to then get geared up to then um, save the day. And she was supposed to kill somebody and she didn't because the guy had a kid and she didn't want to orphan the kid, which is what happened to her. And so the rest mm -hmm. of the film is her dragging around this nine-year-old through the bloodiest gun violence I've seen in film in a long time uh, to the point where it makes you uncomfortable that there's a nine-year-old in the film. Like, it's just like, I know it's all fake, but this actor, <laughs> this nine-year-old kid is in the middle of all of this. And a little bit like uh, Chloe Mortez, isn't it? From uh, in, in Kick-Ass. Yeah, 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 just yeah. Just kind of like that, mm -hmm. kind of like, okay, this is a very, very violent scene where, you know, you know, involving lots of guns and stuff. And she's very young. <laughs> yeah. So Chloe Coleman is the name of the actor. She's 13 now. So she would have been around 11 when they filmed this in 2019, mm. uh, 2020. Uh, so like it's it's still uncomfortable. Uh, I mean, she's and the, I mean, the kid is grossed out by it. Like she's she's acting and, and she's like, oh, gosh, that was really scary and stuff like that. And it's just it feels just tacked on and. I get it like and it works out in some fun ways later on. So one of the shining moments in the film comes from one of the worst moments in the film. So when the when Sam tries to not I guess spoilers when Sam tries to <laughs> not kill her target and save him instead, he's brought to a doctor's office. And then the thugs that are out to kill Sam, she beats the snot of them. They're also at the doctor's office. And the doctor says, I'm going to help you guys get her because the firm has told me I'm going to, you know, I should help you. So instead of going in to help Sam with her wounds and giving her like a tetanus shot or something for her bullet wound, instead of drugging her and handing her <laughs> over to the firm, he instead gives her two injections, one in each arm, which makes her arms go numb. She's still perfectly awake. So he's a doctor with a syringe. And the thing that he decided to give her was to make her arms go numb, not knock her out. Like just stupidest thing ever. But they were who would have the medical knowledge to properly deal with that. Situation. Exactly. Uh, the resulting gunfight involves Sam convincing Emily, this is the nine-year-old, to tape her gun to her hand and tape a scalpel to her other hand then Sam proceeds to go into the hallway and the only way that she can raise her gun high enough to pull the trigger, I don't know how she can pull her trigger, her arms are supposed to be numb, uh, is to spin herself. You ever let yourself, your arms go kind of loose and then as you spin, mm. uh, since there's go forth, force kind of pulls your arms out. So that's what she yeah. has to do through the entire fight. So it's like this ragdoll, weird calamity of errors gunfight. Uh, with thugs that have already been beaten up. So one guy's in a wheelchair, another guy's on crutches, and the other guy, I can't remember what happened to him. He's got like a head wound or something. So like they're all kind of stumbling around. It is the worst fight scene ever. All of them 
are all the fight scenes are pretty poorly choreographed. It looks like I've seen better fights on Star Trek The Next Generation. Like it's <laughs> it's rough, man. It's it's not convincing in the least. Um, but all that is to say that it did lead to what I thought was a very fun action sequence, which is then Emily and Sam uh, have to get away and they have to go in the getaway car. Well, Sam can't use her arms. So nine-year-old Emily is sat on top of Sam's lap. Sam is using her feet to push the pedals and uh, do the gas and the brake. Uh, in what apparently it's being driven. <laughs> it's an automatic car, but it's being driven like a standard is really funny. Um, so she has to teach Emily in like five minutes uh, how to steer the car, how to put it in drive in reverse. And they're trying to get, get out, get, trying to get out of this parkade. So after this crazy action, you know, ragdoll sequence, Emily and Sam are trying to drive out of this um, parking lot at like mm. 10 miles an hour because, of course, Emily's all over the place with the steering wheel. Enter in more mobsters trying to kill them. Now, Sam's in a bulletproof car because she's an assassin. So she just kind of tells Emily, don't worry about the bullets. They can't get in here. And so Emily, being just this fearless kid, is unflinched by bullets bouncing off the windshield. And then Sam is shouting out like crazy, you know, left now, right now, reverse, drive, as she's like flooring it around this parking garage. And it's really funny to see this nine-year-old kid like doing this action sequence. Like I, I would imagine the two of them, <laughs> I would love to see outtakes from that, that sequence. Cause I imagine mm. the two of them had an absolute blast. Now I'm sure there's a stunt driver in some of the scenes and like, they're not always in the car, but any of the shots where they're actually in the car driving around, I would imagine the two of them just had an absolute blast. Uh, I wish more of the film had that kind of vibe to it. And unfortunately there's not enough humor in act one to set it up as a comedy. So that when you get into act two or you get into the action sequences where they're trying to push, you know, trying to get away and, and, the, and the real chase of the rest of the film is happening. It, the funny stuff is it's like, I, this wasn't set up as a comedy. This was supposed to be like a dark, gritty assassin film. And so when it starts to go funny, you're just like, this is slapsticky, like American pie, you know, stuff. It's like, I, I don't, I don't understand why this is going in so many different directions. So it can't decide when it wants to be. Does it feel like a complete genre shift in the movie then? The the action sequences feel like TV show stuff. And then the, but the, the establishing shots and the mood shots and all that, you know, feels very film-like. Um, can't be film-like. You know, if you've seen Sin City or what, yeah. was, it, what was the other one that came after that? The Spirit or something? There was there was a couple of Sin City films, but like it's hmm. it's got that kind of a vibe in how it's stylized and stuff like that, and and the, the lines that that Gillian gives are very like kind of film noir, you know, like I've never been the sentimental type, as like someone bleeds to death on the floor, or like whatever it is, hmm. like there's stuff like that. So it, it has those kind of like bits of camp, but. It just goes too far, which is an unfortunate. Um, so I can't, I can't really recommend it. However, I'm calling it now. There's going to be lots of Sam cosplay at the next time that we're allowed to all get together at a at a convention. I guarantee you that there are going to be people that <laughs> are going to love this because it's so bad. I'm not one of those people. Or there's going to be people that just legitimately like these kind of films, and if it's for you, you're going to love it because um, Sam's costume, her her. 
um, she's forced to change uh, attire by some bad guys at some point in the film. She ends up wearing like a bowling alley jacket. And it's got yeah, it's this a yellow yeah. poster you sent me. Yeah, earlier. so it's it's got this like bowling alley vibe. So there's going to be, it's a very, very iconic look. And that's, I think, mm. one of the reasons why it has like a Kill Bill vibe to it is because the bowling jacket reminds you of like the jumpsuit that Uma Thurma wears in Kill Bill. Um, right. But yeah, like it just, it's, there are some iconic moments and there are some iconic shots, but I don't necessarily know, like, I, I can't see it doing very well like it rose to be super popular on netflix in canada and fell within three days like it was like number two in canada like not even on the charts three days later it was just like wow yeah people are just like wow and no we're not even gonna consider that like you're saying the the vibe of like the 50s with the dino and this and this jacket and stuff like it like and i i I caught a bit of the trailer earlier it visually it does look very good yeah there's a lot of color Mm-hmm. in there it's very bright and, and vibrant in a lot of places which i was on board for yeah and um when, when you have a film that just switches genres that's just it, it's so frustrating because it's um yeah you, you're just not getting what you set out for really yeah and there's been a couple of movies i've had like that before it, it's it's almost worse when you have a trailer that advertises a movie as one thing and you find out it's something completely different Hi folks, Joel from the future here to let you know that due to some technical difficulties, scheduling, and just the amount of time it took to edit and publish episode 409 of the Citadel Cafe, Masters of the Universe Revelation has since come out and I have watched it in its entirety. I'm about to talk about and speculate on the show from the trailer uh, here on episode 409. And because of the timing of the release of this episode, I thought I should pop in and say like, hey, I've seen it. I will be talking about it on the next episode of the Citadel Cafe. So look forward to that. Until then, you can just listen to me speculate about the show based on the trailer and see if I was right or wrong. The other thing, uh, speaking of trailers that I've been um, checking out and we'll say reserving my judgment until I actually get to watch it. But this Friday, Masters of the Universe Revelations is going to hit Netflix uh, the 23rd and the full trailer uh, is out on YouTube has been for a little while actually mm. I just didn't catch it until this week um, I'm hoping this lives up to the hype the story sounds interesting the voiceover from I think there's a, a voiceover from it sounds like the sorceress of Grayskull but then also from Tila is that magic on Eternia is is dead and or dying uh, and Tila has fought for years to be free of magic because of trauma that it cost her in the past uh, mm. and is now conflicted as she has been asked to fight to save it uh, alongside He-Man and all the other masters of the universe. Um, and so that sounds like an interesting take. Uh, it did sort of tweak my brain to the fact that I forgot that He-Man's physical form was magical. Right, okay. Like yeah. I just They say it. It's not a secret. It's in the opening line of the show. <laughs> Like, just like Mm. uh, the day I held aloft my magic sword and said, like, just done. (laughs) Like, just your magic. I get it. But because he's such a physical dude, like he doesn't go around zapping things with lightning. He basically just punches stuff like that's his M.O. And so his his, his magical power is just expanding muscles. Yeah, exactly. So in the same way that DC's Captain Marvel is magic, like Billy Batson is magic. Right. And I'm just like, 
dang it, because I don't like Captain Marvel in DC. I don't like the idea of magic in my superheroes. It drives me nuts. So the fact that I'm now realizing <laughs> that He-Man is a magical superhero, I'm just like, darn it. That's not what I wanted to do. Um, but uh, it some of the character designs look really cool. Uh, Orko hmm. looks different, looks cool. Uh, Beast Man looks like an orc from, from um, World of Warcraft. Like, he's huge. Uh, and he's mm. really well drawn. Looks really cool. He's obviously he's still orange and fuzzy, but like he just has that kind of stature. Uh, and yeah. what was the other character design that I thought was really neat? Man at Arms looks pretty cool. Um, he Man looks okay. I'm not really. I'm on the fence about He Man. Um, but then I do like that he he like when he does transform, like he seems to even grow taller. Oh, yeah. No, he totally does. Definite sense of how yeah. big he becomes. So in the original cartoon, it was kind of like a Clark Kent superman thing where prince adam yeah. was basically the same size he just had a higher voice <laughs> uh and got yeah. a little bit bigger uh took his shirt off um but in this one he's like and there's been other cartoons of he-man over the years where uh prince adam is actually like a teenager and and so to make it more attractive to kids and so that when he turns into he-man he really does change very much like a billy batson shazam sort of idea um or captain marvel yeah so um with uh with this one Prince Adam looks like he's an adult, but a very young adult, like early 20s sort of idea. But he's definitely a skinny dude. Uh, and and so when he turns into He-Man, he very much changes in physical size. Um, they also did that with the recent She-Ra cartoon. Um, She-Ra in the recent Netflix cartoon, uh, very different style than this one. Um, but she's like a 10-foot hmm. tall character when she's She-Ra. Like she's taller than everybody. Uh, she, gr- she grows by a foot and a half easily um, from, from Aurora. Right. Um, but yeah, so th- this is, um, this is different in that way, but then other, other character designs look really phoned in uh, or changed in ways that are not appealing. Like Tila looks awful. She's supposed to be an appealing character. She's supposed to be in some ways, I think a love interest for Adam and, and for He-Man, mm-hmm. but like she is, it's just not a, an attractive character design for one of your lead characters. Um, I'm all for her being, you know, muscular. Like she's supposed to be a warrior. I like the fact that they don't have her in like a plunging neckline like they had in the in the '80s. Like she's got armor. Her chest plate <laughs> is a chest plate. Like it's a. It looks like a bulletproof vest, as it should. Actually protected. Yeah, yeah. Because in He-Man, you've got swords and shields and guns like all at the same time and lasers. Like there's just there's all kinds of stuff <laughs> going on. So like protection makes sense. Plus her dad is man at arms. <laughs> like he's got <laughs> that's his his mo is I have the gear. So like it makes sense. Um, but mm. then Evil Lynn, like it looks like they just put a different head on Tila. They just kind of copied where Evil Lynn is supposed to be a sorceress. And she's like all the iterations that I've seen of her over the years have always been kind of like witch like, like kind of scrawny. Her power doesn't come from her physical presence. It comes from her ability to wield magic and stuff. So like I just mm. it feels kind of phoned in on some of the other things. Um, again, I'll leave judgment till I actually see it, uh, especially when it comes to the animation. I thought your trailer was supposed to have the best animation in it. There is some dodgy stuff in this trailer. I'm just like, whoa, what was that? Like that didn't even yeah, look good, <laughs> you know? I mean, you, you you obviously come from a background of animation. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for me, like I, just as a consumer of animation, like I don't know a lot of the, the details that you're probably picking out. But one thing that did feel very clear to me is it felt like a mishmash of animation styles. Yeah. Yep. You know, like you've got some very um, modern uh, sort of 3D glowing animations and stuff. And then you've got stuff that looks 
kind of like a lot of other shows are kind of made these days. And then some stuff that does almost hark back to what the original show looked and felt like. But when you mix it all together, it, it does feel like a, just a mishmash of things. Yeah, it, it's, there's an anime style to a certain amount of things. There's a certain economy mm. in anime animation. Uh, it's very often about the design of things and the um, story, uh, not necessarily how things move all the time. Uh, however, mm. this to me from the trailer smacks of pushing it out the door quickly. This is what animation looks like when it's rushed, right? It just has to get approved by a certain date. You can't redo it. You can't. You get some inexperienced animator that's in there that doesn't do a very good job, and then they have to keep it because of time constraints. Uh, they've um, had all the time in the world, and Netflix has got more money than God. There's no reason for this to look shitty. None. None. Unless they were trying to get the trailer complete and out the door. That's the only maybe, thing if, but if perhaps this is. But no. But looking at the trailer, like it's clips from multiple episodes, right? Like it's not. The trailer right. isn't animated for the trailer. The trailer is clips of other parts of the show. Uh, animation mm. is expensive. There's no way that they would do a specific trailer. Oh, right, um, yeah. So that would already be locked in yeah. at that point. So I anticipate yeah. the okay. first episode to probably be pretty well animated and then other episodes to fall off in quality. That's basically how it usually rolls with stuff like this. So that's unfortunate. I, I'm trying not to focus on it, but it's a hard switch for me to turn off. And I think the biggest problem is that there's no excuse for it. Like this is an existing IP that has a bunch of 40 year old nerds that are just like, give it to me now. <laughs> like take my money, Netflix. And like, you've got a captive audience literally, you know? Uh, and I really wish that they, they had, uh, well, I shouldn't say that. I don't, I haven't seen it yet. I hope that they put the time and effort in that they should have. Um, I can forgive a little bit of shoddy animation if it's a good story, but like if, if mm. some of the best action sequences or some of the, you know, moments in are just like, you know, when you, when I look at something and my reaction is who drew that, like that, how did that get approved? What supervising animator said that's good enough for television? Let that go. That's where I kind of check out and be like, what is going on? Because that mm. kind of stuff really pulls me out of it. Sometimes you can have like some things are better than others and explosions or action sequences can be kind of a bit funky and whatever. And that's fine. And I'm okay with stylistic things. Like sometimes anime can be like, they can have static holds. Sometimes um, there's a lot of dramatic head talking and stuff. Um, stylistically, um, for something from the first trailer, I'm not a really big fan of like He-Man's pointy nose, pointy chin, crazy eyed grin. Like that's, that's a stylistic choice. It's still very well drawn. It's just like that. It just looks terrible to me. Um, it's like if Superman had, um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of another, like an actor that's got like long, narrow features. For example, like Nicholas Cage, who originally was going to be. Superman. But, but let's go with a good actor. Let's let's <laughs> let, let's go with Tom Hiddleston. Tom Hiddleston is capable of doing Superman, but physically doesn't look like him. You know what I mean? Like he's right. he's slender. He he doesn't have a big nose or a big chin, but he's got kind of angular, more more pointy features than the average, say, Chris Evans, who looks more like a Captain America. You know. Um, mm. you, can you, well, for, like, you can't imagine Loki playing Captain America and Captain America playing Loki, right? Like you can't flip those <laughs> in your brain yeah. in the same way that I can't put pointy nose and pointy chin on He-Man. Like I just, he's, it's a, he's a, the character design in the eighties was big and broad and kind of square headed. Like that's kind of, it was very much a Conan look like that's kind of what you want yeah. to go for. Anyway. I'm going on about this trailer. It's worth watching. It's it, it's colorful. I love that they're not making it all grim and gray. 
like merman is mm. green, you know, beast man, orange, like this, it's, <laughs> they're using the primary colors. It's fine. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, but, uh, it's just going to be a trip down memory lane, which I think is going to be hopefully at least fun for the first few episodes. And, uh, yeah, mm. I'm looking forward to that. That's, that's this Friday, July 23rd. So what's been on, on your screen lately, man? If we're sticking with trailers, uh, I recently just saw the next Pixar trailer for a film called Turning Red. It's still a ways off yet because it's uh, supposed to release around March 11th, uh, 2022. So still some time. Um, but it does seem like a really fun concept. It's a, it's a coming of age movie where you've got a 13 year old girl called Mei Lee, and she suddenly poofs into a giant red panda whenever she gets too excited. And the description for the film says, uh, which is practically always. Um, and something that I've read is that apparently she's devoted to a boy band. And so when you've got a 13 year old obsessed with a boy band, like she's going to be turning into this panda a heck of a lot. But it also seems to happen when she's under intense stress from her overbearing mother. Because the trailer has her in school. Her mother is basically spying on her from outside to the point that a security guard is coming in and just going, why are you spying on these kids? And uh, she's just, Maylee is in class, completely embarrassed, and then ends up turning into this giant red panda. But it's, it, it, it seems pretty fun. And again, very, very colorful in the way that the Pixar always are. And I think it's actually set in Canada. Because when she's in school, she's got a hat which has maple leaves over it. And then when she's at home, she's got a shirt with a big Canadian red maple leaf on the front as well. So I think it's actually potentially actually set here in Canada, which is going to be cool. Nice. I wonder and if it's I'll like Vancouver, maybe. Maybe, yeah. Uh, there, there is an opening shot of the school. I I didn't really... Well, it's, it's twofold. One, I didn't really pay much attention to the surrounding area that they were showing to try and figure that out but to i also don't know canada well enough for it to have really made a difference for me to figure out where it was set hmm. but um but that seems cool and i love the tagline as well growing up is a beast I think <laughs> really well for it it feels like they've been just pumping out film after film after film but it's this, it's pretty much the same schedule they're just doing they're doing like two films a year i've got like toy story 4 yeah. 2019 onward is 2020 soul was 2020 end of 2020 mm. luca was just in june of this year i haven't seen it yet me neither that's still on my watch list turning red is march 2022 and then Lightyear is june 2022 so they're basically doing like every six months there's a pixar release i don't remember when they started doing two per year i thought it was only ever just one i know that there was like the disney stuff like frozen and that stuff yeah. and then there's pixar is still separate but this, I, I thought Soul, Luca, and Turning Red, I had heard about them. And I was like, okay, I know that Soul was Pixar. But then I was like, which one is Luca? Is that Disney or is that Pixar? But Luca and Turning Red are both are both Pixar. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've been surprised at how many coming out. Because it's, it's, it's like, I, I, I think I'd even missed the fact that Luca had even gotten released. Because, you know, pandemic life. Yep. Um, and, uh and I'm a sucker for anything Pixar. You know, yes, I, no, they I, do a really good job. I'm actually embarrassed to say that I haven't seen Soul yet. I think it just, it, I wasn't in the right place to watch it, maybe. Yeah, um, I it it took me, I, I think I, uh, from 
wanting to sit down and watch it to actually watching it, I think was probably at least a month, if not two. Oh, you've and seen it? It's just, uh, yeah, I have, yeah. Uh, but uh, again, it was kind of like, and I'm going to be watching a, a movie about people who've died and who are ghosts and stuff. Like, I almost felt like I still have to be in the right mood. And also knowing that Pixar are very, very good at tugging on those emotional yes. things. Yes, mm -hmm. yeah, they're And very just kind of like, okay, if I'm, if I'm going to end up crying like i need to be in a mood where i'm okay to do that <laughs> yeah no that's fair that's which, fair which is you know, yeah yeah <laughs> luca looks like a lot of fun uh it looks yeah. like a really cool cultural trip it's set in italy uh at least i think it's set in italy uh and uh i the only reason i haven't watched it i think luca is still under the premium banner or maybe that's Raya and the Last Dragon. Raya and the Last Dragon is the last Disney one, right? That's the most recent Disney animated yeah. film. Yeah. Um, Disney Plus, they're eventually going to be on Disney Plus for everybody to watch. But for the first little while that they're out there, you have to pay a premium, which is usually around $35 Canadian to, to watch it. Mm. Great if you're a family of yeah. four, but when you're just one person, it's, it's a little bit steep. When you know it's coming a couple months later uh, to, to the regular rotation. Um, I find with Pixar films, especially because things like Turning Red, Luca, uh, we'll leave Soul aside, but other films that have been out, um, like, uh, what was it called? Um, I just mentioned it a second ago. Uh, the one where the two brothers go across the country in a van. Um, Oh, Onward. Onward, thank you. Um, really fun films, like really cool films. Yeah. I prefer to share them with people. Like I kind of want it, mm. you know, I want it to be an evening when like Laura's got some time or, you know, when we can, when the bubble is expanded and I can have people over to watch a movie. Like I like sharing them with people like that. Um, I have embarrassingly not watched many movies on the new TV that are worth it. Like new 4K, like HD streaming stuff. I've watched some series, you know, like Mandalorian and and um, Captain America or uh, Captain America and the Winter, Winter Soldier. I'm sorry, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, but yeah, like it just, it's, I want to watch Luca, but I kind of want to share that experience with somebody. Anything else gracing the small screen? Uh, yeah, I recently watched Clarkson's Farm, which is a British series on Amazon Prime, uh, following Jeremy Clarkson, who a lot of people will know from either old Top Gear uh, and more recently the Grand Tour. Uh, because back in, 2008 he bought a farm and he basically just owned the land and there was a farmer running the whole place and that chap retired and so Clarkson's just there were like well who's going to run the farm now and he just decided well why doesn't that just be me and he is completely out of his depth and th this this is this is not like fiction this this is a documentary and uh, so this is this is all for real is it a film or a series? It's a series. Yeah. So uh, limited one series. I think it's something like it's like seven episodes, maybe eight, so, something around there. Not many. Um, and he's just thinking, like, how difficult can it be? You put seeds in the ground, you wait a while, you take the seeds out and you sell them, you know, and uh, it is a complete eye opener as to how difficult farming actually is. It is very educational. Um, the and he. Not only is it just far harder than I imagined farming would be, but it's also astonishing to think that farmers can even make any profit without government grants helping them in the first place. 
And some of the cost of just the equipment alone almost boggles the mind as to how you would even get started as a farmer. But the series also took place at a very interesting time because it happened during one of the worst periods of weather the UK has had for several decades, um, where there's where there was just constant downpour and then the pandemic hit as well so in the middle of the series suddenly lockdown happens so it's just even greater challenges that he's facing and in true jeremy clarkson style he just keeps making one big stupid mistake after another he keeps you know whenever the people that he's working with tell him how to do one thing whenever he's given a rule his immediate instinct is to try and break it like he just can't help himself this is just how jeremy clarkson is so it's just constantly him just going no i've got a better idea i'm gonna do it this way and completely botches it up and it is quite enjoyable watching um some of these people like uh, caleb who's this uh 20 year old farmer who's been working on the farm for for years just having a massive go at him and shot him match and just telling him how much of an idiot he is but there is just a perfect mix of characters um, like Caleb is just constantly despairs at Clarkson's stubbornness. He has an absolute hatred of city life and loves the countryside. So Clarkson sends him into London to sell some things, much to his disappointment. Um, there's also a guy called Cheerful Charlie who always comes in to give what really is just bad news. You know, whenever Clarkson's done something, it's like, well, you can't do that because there's this law, there's this regulation that you have to fulfill and stuff. But he always delivers it very politely. He's he's almost kind of, almost feels like a very small um, village vicar in the way that he's <laughs> delivering all of this bad news. <laughs> it's, uh... It's, uh, yeah, yeah, but cheer, Cheerful Charlie is, is, is just great. Um, and it's beautifully shot as well which is not surprising given that it's amazon prime and they have the grand tour and, and clarkson obviously is going to be working with a very similar crew um but it is it is a fantastically entertaining and educational series and i don't know how canadian farming would equate to it or north american stuff i would imagine that there's probably similar challenges this is obviously very british focused and so for me it's kind of like i understand british farms to an extent but yeah, I, I had no idea. And neither, neither did he. And and one of the things that I do respect about Jeremy Clarkson is that he'll constantly shout about how, like, you know, oh, people who drive tractors, you know, are complete idiots because they just go really slow and stuff. And now that he's actually in the driving seat of those tractors, he's very uh, upfront about going, okay, I was wrong all those years on Top Gear mocking tractor drivers. Right. Well, that's good. Because you know. I... I'm not a big reality TV show fan mm. and I'm not a car guy. So I know who Jeremy Clarkson is because I've seen the advertisements on YouTube and I've seen, you know, yeah. I, I'm an Amazon Prime member. So like I, I see this series advertised. And I actually looked at it. So like that actually might be interesting, but it's just like, I'm not a reality TV guy. And the one thing that I, I'm, I definitely will get me to check out of a series like this is if it is just rich person behaving badly. Like if, if that's yeah. the <laughs> shtick, I may not last very long. Um, but if he's mm. apologetic about it, like if he learns a lesson, oh, he does then yeah. and is and able to admit it, then that might be the saving grace. Because if it's just one person being that, like being this particular way and unchanging throughout the series, that drives me nuts. 
because that just defies common sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, he's, he's not playing it as a character. He himself is just, you know, the way that Jeremy Clarkson is is just the way that Jeremy Clarkson is. Right. And in a way, like, I'm not much of a car guy at all either, but the Top Gear and the Grand Tour has always been appealing to me because they approach it in a very open way that you don't have to understand that stuff. But for people who do, it's very obvious that they know their stuff. Right. But you go there for the interactions and the the people and just how they are. And again, with this show, um, it's very much the case that all the people that are working on the farm along with Jeremy and having to put up with, with his nonsense, um, but him also going through some very emotional uh, things. Like he, I, I don't want to give too much away, but um, he does end up getting sheep and then there is the dilemma of, you know, what happens to animals on a farm and where they end up. And right. the fact that he's also tied himself with an emotional bond to some of them. And, you know, being reminded these aren't pets. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. This is produce in a way. Yeah. Um, and so seeing him go through that, like it, he, he does learn a lot. And seeing him reflect at the end is really the big reward from that journey. Well, speaking of cars, we can move into the Internet Minute, which is, of course, brought to you by you, dear listener. The Citadel Cafe is 100% listener supported. If you're getting value out of the show, please consider putting a little bit of value back in. You can become a member at patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. Joining at any level will get you an invite to the member-only Discord server. There are also multiple levels and different rewards like Discord roles and a bonus episode from time to time. Alistair and I are actually going to record a little bit of extra after the show today talking about some video games. So check that out at patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. Currently at 24 patrons would love for there to be 25 before the end of July. That's always a goal to have one more than the last month before. Uh, so check that out. Join the Discord. Have some fun. And we'll see you on the other side of nerddom. Uh, I have an electric vehicle story this week. It's from cbc.ca. Uh, and it is called How Electric Vehicles Could Transform the Power Grid. And it is about bi-directional charging, which is basically what it says on the tin. Um, up until recently, electric cars would be charged up. They would then use that charge to get you around, and then you would have to recharge them some other way. Mm. And as charging stations and charging methods like, oh, I don't know, maybe a windmill in your backyard, one of those tulip windmills we talked about a couple of um couple of weeks ago in the show, maybe some solar panels, maybe that's how you charge your car. Well, what happens when the power goes out in your house? If you don't have enough of that stored up to charge your car, what are you going to do? How are you going to power the other things? Well, bi-directional charging takes this giant battery on wheels that you use to get around and says, hey, if your power goes out, you can use your car to keep your fridge cold, maybe keep your air conditioning on, and maybe keep you connected to the internet great things for safety oh. and say, oh, I don't know, the cold snap that hit Texas a couple of months back and they had huge mm. rolling power outages, you know, uh, rolling brown and blackouts in California when forest fires are a thing and cause stress on the grid. Like there's all these different reasons that you can use um, bi-directional charging um, to help kind of balance. And if you are a electric vehicle owner, depending on your power uh, provider policy, so like for example, in Nova Scotia, it's Nova Scotia Power, if you are using less than you are generating, then you can get money back or have a reduced power bill. So if you are using X, but then you're using your car to charge the grid, not just your home, but like putting a power back into the grid, then you could save money. 
which is great. It, all around, it's just a win-win-win uh, for bidirectional charging in vehicles. It, it sounds like there's no bad side to this from the sounds of it. No, uh, the only thing I can think of is probably just adoption and or affordability would be, you know, as the technology is fairly new, mm. the only vehicles that are available in Canada right now with bi-directional charging are the Nissan Leaf and Mitsubishi's Outlander. Okay. Those are the only two plug-in hybrids that currently have um, bi-directional charging, according to uh, Nova Scotia Power, actually. They're hybrids. They're not fully electric. So again, mm. it's early for this to be widespread, but... The other thing, of course, is like the oil and gas giants just making this more difficult, you know, to to get to than we need it to be. Um, I mentioned something on the render distance, the extended version of uh, the Sponchunk podcast I do with with uh, picture refs uh, that I'm going to repeat here. I think I've even mentioned it on on Twitter before. But when you look at the pandemic and you look at the global effort to find a vaccine produce a vaccine, distribute a vaccine globally. Granted, I know it's not going balanced globally, but still like the fact that that happened within 18 months of the pandemic being a thing uh, is hmm. phenomenal in terms of the worldwide focus, the team effort and the speed and, and you know, rate at which that happened. If the same energy, the same, uh, pardon the pun, the, the same amount of energy was put into solving the electric car problem or just the environment or alternate power sources in general, if the same fervor was put behind that, I would imagine we would see some leaps and bounds in this direction really fast. Um, I don't have a link to this particular article. I read it several, several weeks ago, but it was basically a, a prediction that if Ford can come up with an electric F-150, which I believe they have, that is more powerful than a gas version, then it could single-handedly swing the United States in terms of electric vehicle adoption because of how many people drive an F-150 in the US mm -hmm. and the fact that they need it because it needs to do a job. Like it needs to haul stuff. It needs to be powerful. And if the new electric one is more powerful than the gas guzzling one, then it's no longer a matter of ego. Like it's just a matter of, it's a matter of adoption. Like you just, you just want to go. The only thing there is that does it become them price prohibitive that, and that's the thing. Whenever I've looked at electric vehicles, I always think like, woof, that is not a cheap car. You know, uh, hybrids currently are the more affordable version. So I, I don't know. I'm, I think it's fantastic. I'm, I didn't know about that bi-directional charging. I just, it's, it doesn't surprise me. I'm surprised it wasn't a thing already, I guess. It, it's, it's really, really cool to see these kind of things happening. And I feel like there's been a fair amount of environmental stories kind of surfacing now that the pandemic is maybe not always top billing in the news. Uh, I feel like mm. we're refocusing now on things that are more important because there's a lot of environmental crisis happening right now, especially in North America. Oh, so, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, it's going to be, um, it's going to be interesting to see where this goes, but I just, again, I thought it was just a really neat idea, uh, and how the Nova Scotia power, um, corporation is, is being like forward facing and saying like, yeah, like if you get a bi-directional vehicle, you can put money back into the grid and potentially save on your power bill. Like, I think that's, I mean, less power bills are good for everybody, I think. So what's your pick this week? Uh, mine's from a YouTube channel called Dial the Gate, who uh, make a ton of really cool Stargate-focused stuff. And it's it's hosted by a guy who worked on GateWorld, which is basically like the biggest fan site for Stargate. And they, just in the last day or so, posted a video 
called Will Amazon Maintain or Reimagine Stargate Canon? Because since Amazon bought MGM, they've obviously got a lot of licenses, a lot of franchises, and one of those is Stargate. So with Bezos saying that he wants to reimagine many of MGM's existing titles for the 21st century, that's had a lot of people panicked as to what that means for Stargate. Will they just reboot the whole thing? Especially when the original series creator, Brad Wright, is trying to work on a pitch for a continuation of the franchise as well. And it's not even guaranteed that Amazon will even go with Brad for that. So they partnered with uh, Jenny Stephen, who is an industry expert working with Clio Consulting, uh, to get more of an inside look as to how this might actually apply to Stargate. And it's a very interesting insight into various uh, streaming media strategies, just how this kind of stuff is organized from that top level, and especially following an acquisition like MGM. So to kind of dive into that, it seems really good. It Also, because it is kind of a clickbaity title, it the the thought is that it's not going to go towards reimagining, that we probably will be looking at maintaining it. But just going through the details and just the thought processes is really worth uh, a listen. First and foremost, if you're a Stargate fan, but also just if you're just interested in how a lot of properties are managed by a lot of these services, I think it is a, a good insight there, even if you're not into Stargate. So as someone that is into Stargate... Uh to someone that is not into Stargate, not that I didn't like it, I just never got into it. Is it not like multiple dimensions? Is that not how the Stargates work? Or is it, we're all in one dimension, they're just traveling huge swaths of space with wormholes? It's it's the latter. So the, you have our Milky Way galaxy, and there is a network of Stargates. In the original movie, we just think that there's just one Stargate that you travel to, just a far off distant planet. But it turns out that there's an entire network of them, which was the premise for the show SG-1, that they would travel to all of these different ones, and there's aliens that have dominion over a lot of places. Then they find that uh, some of the gate builders went to another galaxy, and so there's another galaxy out there that has a network of Stargates, and so that was Stargate Atlantis, so just similar premise, but in a completely different place. And then they also later on came out with Stargate Universe, which is that the ancients who built the Stargates originally set out uh, a ship that laid a path of Stargates and then another ship that followed it with the idea that they'd be able to sort of travel you know, even further. And it's not just one galaxy, it's gone through multiple galaxies throughout the universe throughout the entire time in history. Because we're, we're stumbling, um, like when we see the show Stargate, it's all present day. It's present day people, present day military, dealing with suddenly finding this very old, ancient um, alien technology and suddenly being able to travel across the universe. But unlike Star Trek, where it's all set in the future, it's present day. Right. And uh, so very, very cool. But yeah, not not really parallel dimensions at all. Without the ability to like retcon or just write that stuff in in the same way that you would with parallel dimensions, uh, which I, I think is a mistake because it opens up just too many possibilities and writers get mm. greedy. Uh, what would you prefer to maintain or to reimagine Stargate 
canon to maintain it for sure it's there's just such a vast um history that's been built up with it the characters that they've had have been fantastic a lot of the actors um when they've been asked by brad wright um because he runs a podcast and he's been interviewing a lot of the old cast and they've been reminiscing about production on the shows they've all been like yeah we'd love to come back and do this and the the kind of feeling that you would get from those actors returning just the camaraderie that's there and the characters that you've kind of grown up loving i i wouldn't want that rebooted and to start from scratch to to especially as stargate universe was a very different format in that it wasn't really episodic as such it really kind of started off a very long tale and they only got to like the end of act one kind of halfway through act two and the series was cancelled so there's still a lot of questions and answered and it opened up so much more for them to do that they're not limiting themselves i think if anything doing a reboot would probably limit them more stargate universe was the one that i watched so that's why i never got into it because it was the most recent one and it got canceled so <laughs> it didn't it didn't go anywhere and each stargate series has been designed so that you can jump in without having watched the others mm-hmm. but i feel that really to really get stargate universe it's it you get more out of it having watched the rest of the stuff the other thing was it was such a big shift in storytelling partly because the writers wanted to do something different that it did set off a lot of fans who just weren't quite ready for that uh, shift in storytelling. Mm-hmm. And then with ratings dropping, then it, it got cancelled. But the thing is, the last, I'd say, eight episodes are where you saw that the show was really getting good. And so it got cancelled at just the worst time. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, the rug, back when like it was more, well, I guess... No, no, streaming wasn't quite a, as big a thing back then. But yeah, like it, it definitely, the rug feels more like it's ripped out from underneath you when it's a TV series that you're investing like months and months and months watching, you know, as it comes out weekly. Um, but And they, they also had two straight-to-DVD movies, and there was a third one planned that was supposed to wrap up a lot of stuff for SG-1 Atlantis. And because there was still a lot of, they, they planned it that way, that they were going to have this third one. But financial crisis at mgm coupled with streaming becoming more prominent and dvd sales dwindling just meant it wasn't really the right time to do it and so again there's still there's still plenty more to tell and long-term fans were like that's what we're craving there's a fair amount of stuff that was coming out around the late the late aughts like early 2010s that just died because the industry was switching to streaming and then just yeah. these other things were still trying to do the old model as the new model was taking off. It was just like they were sticking to their guns because they'd either already invested all the money in doing it that way or whatever. And they just floundered because it was just like people were just not interested in, in waiting. Right. Whereas mm-hmm. if, if, you know, if they had, if, if uh, Atlantis, no, not Atlantis, if Stargate Universe had come out in 2019 instead of 2009, when it eventually got canceled, it would have just gone to like a straight to Netflix, you know, it would, it would have set, like if, if it was a television show by a network, Netflix or Amazon or somebody would have picked it up in the same way that the expanse was just was, was taken all over and, and done in a different way. Right. When DVDs were prime, there was a lot that they could predict with that as things started to shift to streaming and it was all new territory. I think it was a lot riskier for a lot of studios as well. 
because they just didn't know what the outcome would be and whether it'd be worth the investment. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Citadel Cafe. You can get info about the show and some of the links that Alistair and I talked about at thecitadelcafe.com. Music for the show was composed by Kevin McLeod. You can email the show at thecitadelcafe at gmail.com or find the show by name on Twitter. Subscribe for free on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube, and also Reason FM. Word of mouth is the easiest way to support the show. Just tell friends about the Citadel Cafe and where they can go to listen to it. My name is Joel Duggan. You can find everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio at joelduggan.com. Check out my other podcast, all about Minecraft at thespawnchunks.com. And of course, you can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media. And I'll point you towards twitch.tv slash Joel Duggan, where this week I'm going to be returning to the experimental snapshot for Caves and Cliffs in Minecraft. They have a second update to that snapshot. That's going to be really fun to check out. And of course, we're returning to the Citadel this weekend. Alistair, where can people find you online? You can check out my website at alistairmcfly.com. Uh, you can also check out my Star Trek Retrospective podcast, which I do with my co-host Trev over at longrangesensors.com. And you can also find me as Alistair McFly on both Twitter and also on Twitch. Dude, great to have you back on the show. It's been fun. I, I love being back. I know I keep saying it, but it's because it's true. <laughs> Maybe we'll make it a regular thing. I'd love that. You've been listening to the Citadel Cafe, where we are fast, easy, and cheap, but you can only pick two. <laughs>